The following podcast is from Doxa Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org. Well, if you're new here, I didn't introduce myself. So that's one mark already off. My name is Dale Miller. I'm one of the elders here at Doxa Church. And, uh, and uh, so I get to rotate as I talked about. Randy carries most of the teaching, and um, I get to sub every once in a while. So. But we've been in the book of Nehemiah. At Doxa Church, what we do is we, we choose a book of the Bible and we walk through it together. Um, and so we've been in a series of Nehemiah. Uh, we're going to cover chapter 4 today. But I wanted to give you a review. Maybe you're not familiar with Nehemiah, what's been going on. Just kind of catch you up to speed really quickly about what's going on. And so we see the book of Nehemiah. Um, the background before you even get to Nehemiah, the main character in, this, uh, um, this, in the narrative, is that Jerusalem has been just ransacked and taken over by the Babylonians and carried off into captivity. So they took all the brightest and the best away. They left kind of the scrubs behind and tore down the walls and everything was bad. Uh, so then the so Babylonian was on the scene and then we see the Persian uh, emperor, uh, empire come up and take over the Babylonians. So right now, Nehemiah is serving the king of Persia, King Artaxerxes. So he's serving uh, as the sommelier, I didn't even know that was until this series. Uh, so he's serving the king wine, tasting his food. It's a high-level job. You know, so he's got a big responsibility to, to, um, to, to present to the king the food, make sure it's not poison. So he's taking it beforehand. So he's, he's really taking one for the team if it's a bad day. Um, so we see that he's in a high-level job. He's serving in that king, uh, kingdom. And uh, one day these guys come rolling in from Jerusalem. And so he, he asked about it. He said, so, so how is how's Jerusalem? And he said, it's, they said, it's terrible. And people are were, people were in shame. So the people are in shame and they're in great trouble. The walls are broken down. The gates are burned by fire. And immediately, Nehemiah's heart breaks. I mean, it is done. He just, it is totally broken for, for a city that he's never even been to. And so um, we see his heart break in chapter 1. Then in chapter 2, we, we get a little bit more into it. We're really, in chapter 1, we see his heart break so much that he fasts and prays for 40 days. He's, he's before the Lord praying to God that God would raise up something, do something. His heart is burned for Jerusalem. And in chapter 2, we see Nehemiah have the opportunity to go before the king and actually present what is on his heart. So the king sees that he's sad, said, what's going on here? So Nehemiah gets a chance to actually lay out what his burden is. And Nehemiah had it all planned out. The king's like, what you need? Nehemiah pulls out a list, said, this is what I need, this, 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 and this. And uh, the king says, oh, how long are you going to be gone? And so we see the this, this story start. Okay, so now Nehemiah is going to Jerusalem. Also in chapter 2, he arrives on the scene, he's there. And uh, much of the story today will, will, will revolve around two guys, Samballot and Tobiah. So in early in chapter 2, in verse 10, they're really identified as kind of God's enemy. Because Nehemiah rolls on the scene, he's, they, they, they're angry that someone, somebody would come and seek the welfare of the city. That's what they say there. And so last week we covered chapter 3, the project starts, people working shoulder to shoulder. Randy talked about how it was all kind of different people. We had priests working, we had goldsmiths working, we had fashion dudes working, as Randy would say. Um, and so they were working on the wall all right behind their own house together. And so we're going to pick up in chapter 4. The work's already started, but I'm going to get there really quickly. But I got to tell you a story first before I jump into 4, all right? So projects, um, you know, projects are pretty fun 
when you start them, you get to think a lot. You get to think about, okay, what's, what do I need to do? Get plans out. You really, really, the work hadn't really begun yet. You know, you're kind of just thinking through things and stuff. And when you first start, you start, you know, making a little progress, you get excited. Like, man, this is, this is, this is legit. You know, what I'm doing is going to be good here. And uh, so, the, but then, you know, often in my, my case, when I get into a project about halfway, it's tough. That's when it's tough. It's like the, the newness and fun is worn off. The, the finish line looks way down there. You're kind of looking at your product, and you're like, I don't know if this is going to come together. And so you, discouragement often, often rolls in at that point. And so um, we see this in chapter 4. This is what we're really going to walk through. And I'll tell you one more story about me. Um, Randy talked about last week we built this. I just added the handles to that big box. That's all I did. I didn't do anything else. But that was a big accomplishment. I had the tools out and going for it, man. Uh, but I got the opportunity two years ago to, with a mission team to build a bunkhouse behind a church. And so we were all together. Uh, so I'm a pharmacist by trade. So, uh, you know, I'm usually just doing stuff like that and not <laughs> nailing hammers and stuff. So uh, uh, we had a general contractor on the team, an electrician that was out with his uh, electrical engineer. I mean, he's not pulling wires. He's in the office too. So, um, so he had a pretty, pretty ragtag team out there. And we did start off, man. It was like walls were going up. Like, this is awesome. By Wednesday, midweek, man, I saw some, some guys act like children. Had a, my buddy on top of the roof. He's telling guys down, down at the bottom stuff that we're not allowed to say in our house. He's telling them to shut up, shut up, don't talk to me, don't talk to me anymore. And so then that night, you know, I'm a, you know, the peacekeeper of the group. So that night I'm talking to him. He's like, hey, I'm, I'm never going on a mission trip with this guy again. Never. There's just no way I can do it. I'm not doing this. And no lie, on Friday when I was sitting down to pin this, that same guy that said he would never go calls me and said, hey, man, I hear we're getting the team back together going on a mission trip. I'm like, well, I guess time does heal all wounds, I guess. But, um, but you see just when you get in that point where you really got to push through, um, and that's what we're going to see in Nehemiah. So if you want to take your Bible, go ahead and open up to chapter 4. Um, we'll, we'll talk about this uh, project kicking off. And kind of the theme that we'll see in these verses as we walk through it, is opposition arises, and then what's the response? And so that's what I want us to keep our, our focus on, is the opposition, what's going on, and what is our, our response to it. So I'm going to start out with the first three verses. This is now when Samballot heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews. And he said, in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish, the burnt ones at that? And then his buddy Tobiah jumps in and he says, he's the Ammonite says, yes, what are they building? If a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. So we see these guys really using mockery and ridicule. They're, they're looking at this work that the Jews are doing and, and really... Uh, as I stood through it, it talks about an army around, what's going on here. And so more than likely, you know, Samballot didn't like what was going on. But King Artaxerxes had blessed this work. You know, he, he said, this is this work to be doing. So we see, we see Samballot kind of walk a line the whole time. He doesn't want to be too, too aggressive, but he wants to intimidate the Jews to stop the work. And so this army, they, the commentators are saying that it, it, more than likely what was going on is that he gathered an army around so that the Jews could visually see that to be intimidated. They're, these people are watching us do this work, and they don't know what's going on. And then they really resort to mockery and harassment, giving them a hard time, messing with them, 
Uh, sound their walls, feet, you know, they're feeble, means that they're incapable of doing it. Um, it's heaps of rubbish. You know, so the walls had been torn down and fire and all this times of Jerusalem been ransacked and some people tried to start a little bit but got ransacked again so it was in shambles. And so the wall itself um, was built out of limestone and so if you know anything about limestone which I knew nothing about um, but in my research is that when it, there's fire and it gets hot it's weakened it almost it starts to crumble it even it can turn into dust it gets so bad. So they got this, these terrible resources they're trying to revive and trying to, to, to build up um, and we see that, uh, and really his response is, do, you, do they think they can, they're able to do this? They really think they're able to do this with their poor resources. This great work that they're called to, I mean, seriously, you all think it's possible. This thing about the fox, it's a really light uh, creature. You know, it's very light on its feet, and what it's saying is just the wall is so weak, if it's just a little creature scatters across it, it's going to fall down. So really, really giving the, the Jews a hard time about their work. But we see in this next response, kind of catches it off guard. Because what Nehemiah's heart, we see what really was behind the scene. It wasn't just this attack and this mockery. It wasn't just to the Jews. It was to the God, against the God that the Jews serve. So essentially, Sanballat neither credited the Jews with the ability to carry out the work, or nor did he believe in the power of the God whom the Jews worshipped. Thus really casting scorn upon the faith of the Jews and also in the God that they trusted and worshipped. Really in God himself. And so we see the response here in 4 and 5. I'll read for us. So the response here is Nehemiah's prayer. It says, Hear, O God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunts on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in the land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt and not let their sins be blotted out from your sight, for they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. So, Nehemiah's response, he's a, he's a prayerful man. We've seen him pray throughout this whole book. This prayer strikes us a little bit different. It's, a, it's on the surface when we read it, um, it seems harsh. Uh, it seems cruel and vindictive that he could have that such a hard stance on it. Uh, but, but remember, Nehemiah clearly saw Sanballat and these enemies that are coming around as, as enemies to God and God's people and God's work. Uh, commentaries pointed out that you know, this is like a personal prayer of Nehemiah. It's coming out of his journal. It's his personal prayer to the Lord. And if you, if you really think about think about his lens, if you don't have a background of, of what was going on in the Old Testament um, about God's people, Israel, God in chapter 12 goes to Abraham. He, he calls out a people for himself. He says specifically in chapter 12 that, that your descendants, those who bless you, I'll bless. Those who curse you, I'll curse. In other places in the New Testament, some in Jeremiah, and some, I mean Old Testament, Jeremiah and other places, it really, God speaks about his enemies. And uh, so really, you know, Nehemiah, um, he was kind of praying really as a, through those lens of just really calling God to be faithful to his promises and bring about divine justice. Um, I know that's a convincing argument for a lot of you guys, right? I had a debate with Burton this week, and we didn't, we didn't keep score, but I don't know. I might have got the W in it. I'm not sure, though. But uh, Burton would probably say different. Uh, but we had a good time doing that, and uh, I'll talk about it a little bit more later. But th that argument I'm bringing, just Nehemiah looking through the lens of the Old Testament and how he had this reaction to pray, um, really 
probably with those in here are very merciful. Um, that doesn't sit well. They got the gift of mercy. Um, the Miller family, we wouldn't be accused of having the gift of mercy. I'll just let you know for sure. But if you're here and you're thinking, well, what about, what, what did, what about Jesus? What did, what did he say when it comes to our enemies? So we see in Matthew chapter 5, uh, Jesus specifically talks about uh, to love our enemies and to pray for them, uh, to pray for the enemies that persecute us. And then in Romans chapter 12, there's a whole section about, true, about marks of a true Christian. And side note, that means there's false Christians running out there. So marks of a true Christian. Uh, and, and that it outlines that, uh, that we, um, we're the blessed, those who persecute us as well. Bless and do not curse. Repay no evil for evil. Never to avenge yourself. But leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is of the Lord. So how do you reconcile this stuff? And so what I want to do is also just take a time back and say, all right, what this, this full book, these 66 books of the Bible, is telling one story about God's glory. So a lot of times you've got to think about what's being written where, where you are, to know the right lens to reconcile things. So we talked about Nehemiah and his lens. So we should have a different lens because, praise God, we have the New Testament. Praise God, we have the work of Jesus Christ. So that should change our perspective on things. So, like I said, the background um, of God calling out a special people for himself, setting them apart from wicked nations that are around them, and really use those, that group of people, the Jews, to be a tool of judgment to the wicked and rebellious culture around them. But, but God sent his only son to bear the judgment on our behalf. I mean, that's our, that's our message. That's our gospel that we herald. Um, so now it tells us in, in uh, I believe it's in 1 Peter, it talks, rolls through and says, okay, he's created new people. It's a new covenant, a new people. They are a new chosen race. They're a holy priesthood. They're a holy nation, a people for his own possessions. So if you're a Christian here today, if you've, if you've placed your trust and faith in Jesus Christ and his finished work on your behalf, you are this new priesthood, new nation. We all are together as believers. So that we, really it says that we may proclaim his excellence in him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous, marvelous light. So we're still called to fight a holy war, just like the nation of Israel is called. But our war is different. Our war is against evil forces. It says the spiritual evil forces, and Ephesians 6 lines that out for us. So with a clear understanding of the gospel... And a clear understanding and security in what Christ has done for us, that when opposition arises against us as Christians, our first reaction shouldn't be to be instruments of judgment. It's to be instruments of mercy and grace for God's glory. And I think our gospel response is, gonna, is of utmost importance. I think my prayer is that that would flavor the people of Doxa Church. There's a, uh, a gentleman um, shared this with me and was just thinking about how he has been welcomed by Doxa Church and has been... You know, he's willing to disciple, we're walking beside him and to disciple him. And, and thinking about seeing a guy come in, it didn't fit, you know, it doesn't obviously just stands out in the room a little bit and saying, you know what, that guy, he's not going to get the reaction he thinks he's going to get. These people's going to love him, and if he's willing to be discipled and walk through and, and sit on the authority of God's word, then this is going to be a group of people to do that. And I pray that will continue to be the calling of Doxa.
And, and this thing about opposition, we see as we continue to run through chapter 4 in Nehemiah, the opposition comes, there's a response. There's opposition response. So we should expect opposition, right? Like it's, we shouldn't be caught by surprise that we have opposition to come, to come against Doxa Church. You know, as we push back, our, one of our goals is really to push back the spiritual darkness in the Grand Strand. And as we start to push back that darkness, there's going to be, there's going to be opposition to that. You know, if we just keep meeting right here in, in River Oaks Elementary, kind of hid away and just doing our own little thing, then, you know, we're not really going to shake much up. But as we talked about earlier, if we focus on mission now, our, our fourth banner, starting to give back, get involved, and we've gotten this base that we've, we've really laid a clean foundation, we should expect opposition to come. Because John chapter 3, it talks about that, that they love the darkness. That's why they rejected the light. And so as we push out light, they're gonna, they're, we're, we're, we're removing what they love. And so we're gonna, we should expect opposition. And so we'll see this. Let's continue in Nehemiah 4 as we see, after we have an opposition response, we'll see the opposition come back up again. Verse 6. So, so we built the wall, and the wall was joined together to about half its height, for the people had a mind to work. But when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs, so we got new guys coming on the scene, new enemies, the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites, heard that they were repairing the walls of Jerusalem, was going forward, and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, and they, they were very angry. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. Response, verse 9, And we prayed to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. So we see um, this, these new enemies come around. So literally, Jerusalem is surrounded on all sides, from the north, east, south, and west. So they're surrounded by all, all areas. Um, and that... And to me, as I read this, is as we, liking it to Doxus, we continue to, to have progress, we're going to see that's going to make the enemy even more angry, and it's going to be pushed back, right? And I talked about we shouldn't, have, we shouldn't be caught off guard by it, that Nehemiah wasn't caught off guard, and that's my big hope for us today, is just to identify this, and let's, let's be prepared for it. Didn't Jesus tell us in chapter 15? Let's go to John chapter 15. If you don't believe me, we'll go there. I'm going to pick up in verse, I think I'm going to pick up in verse 18. Talking about the world. It says, the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as it is its own. But because you are not of the world, because I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the, world that I, remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they keep my word, they will also keep yours. So it's clearly outlined. There's no, we shouldn't be, um, thank you, bro. We shouldn't be caught off guard by opposition. And so we see, as I talked about, in a halfway week in uh, building that bunkhouse on Wednesday, everything's starting to unravel. That's what we're going to see next in in Nehemiah as we continue to walk through Nehemiah. They've reached the halfway point. The wall's starting to take shape. We see what happens next. I got to go back to Nehemiah. That confused me. I was like, what What am I supposed to be reading? Nehemiah chapter 4. I'm going to switch back there. All right, guys? Picking up in verse 10. It says, in Judah it was said... 
This is, this is a chant. This is kind of shows you how, um, as we walk through this section, think about, like, I would say, discouragement has really set upon the people. The strength of those who bear the burns is failing. There's too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. And our enemies said, they will not, they will not know or see till we come upon them and kill them and stop the work. At the time, the Jews who lived near them from all directions came and said to us ten times, you must return to us. That's the opposition. Thirteen, we'll talk about the response. So the work was hard. There's no doubt it talks about the strength was failing. The work, it was tough work. And they were rebuilding a wall off of rubble. It was, it was not a light, light job to do. So it was, it was, it was a tough work. The, work. the workers' strengths were failing. We said there was a threat of an attack. They said that, you know, they, they were going to surprise attack. And they, they hear these reports. Um, it says again and again, ten times, it means again and again, these, their fellow countrymen that lived outside the city would come in and, 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 route and say, look, guys, y'all need to get off that wall and come back and stay with us. You need to, you need to abandon this work. These, these guys out here, they're all surrounding. They're getting ready to attack. We heard them. Y'all need, y'all need to just leave this project. And so really, this is a crisis point in this book. It's a crisis point for Nehemiah. What is he to do? And we see him, as, as, as a lot of people study this book, as a, as a great example of leadership. And we see, let's see what he does in verse 13. It says in verse 13, So in the lowest parts of the, of the space behind the wall, in the open spaces, spaces, open places, I stationed the people by their clans, with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and I rose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. So we see Nehemiah's response. He quickly arms the people. He, has a, he quickly arms the people, fortifies the, the lowest parts with them. And then really he gets all brave heart on them, right? Like, I cannot read chapter, uh, verse 14 without thinking about Braveheart. I even had to pull it up and look at that theme. So, you know, it, um, Mel Gibson, he's got the William Wallace, he's got the blue paint on, and, and they come out in the Scottish and the English is over there, and they're kind of a ragtag group and not have much going on, and these, these weapons that are shabby, and then they're looking across the field, and there's this army just decked out, got all the best equipment, just massive. And uh, so they're, they're starting to... The guys, you see the guys on the corner on the ends, they're just like, all right, yeah, yeah. Leaving William Wallace, he's like, whoa, 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 we got we to gotta, we gotta see what's going on here. We got to be called to the fight. So they're trying to kind of scoot off, like, no, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to protect myself and run. And we, see, we see William Wallace, he comes riding the horse back and forth. He starts telling them that, you know, you can run and you might live for a little while. And if you fight, you might die. But then he, what's, the, what's the, the quote? Everybody knows it in here, I hope. He said, it's, you will never take our freedom. It's really a call, and everybody's, ah, and they go charge and stuff. So every time I read that, I just think about that. I imagine Nehemiah, you know, rallying the troops. You know, he might have blue paint on, I don't know. But uh, really rallying the troops uh, to fight. And to, and to what, fight for what? Fight for their families. But not only just and their strength and their goodness. But really, is the call, the Lord, who is great and awesome. And that's what we sang about before we started today. The great and awesome Lord, 
And we see later in the verse that he says, God will fight for us. And so, I'm going to kind of summarize the last part of, of Nehemiah and kind of walk through some application that I would like to, to see uh, transpire in Doxa. So as we, we continue through um, the word, um, we see the work resumes. So Nehemiah successfully um, got past the crisis point. He successfully rallied the troops, got everybody back on board to God's great work. Um, and, and we see in verse 15 quickly, it says, When the, our enemies heard of it, um, that it was known to us, and that God had frustrated their plans, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. So you see, once again, Nehemiah rightly gives God the credit. It's not him. It's not what he did. It's not how he got a brave heart on them and started, got them all back on the same page. He gives the credit to God himself. It's God who's the one that frustrated the plans. See, they all return to the wall and to work. Um, and really what he does in the response then is he starts to divide the workforce. Everybody at, at was working on the wall up until this point. And they're just working on the wall, working on the wall. So now we see all of a sudden uh, this, this threat of attack come at any moment. So what he does is he splits up the workforce. He gets half the workforce, gives, gives them uh, uh, arms to arm themselves to fight. And they, and they are just watching. They're, they're, they're watching the perimeter for an attack. And it gives the freedom to the other guys to work. They're still, they're still armed, but they're working. They're focused on working. And so we see, as, as, I, as I study this, that, that would have switched. So you wouldn't wear each other out. So the work was so hard. So at some point, there would, people would have time to rest and just watch and be ready to fight while the other guys picked up uh, the heavy workload. And so at this point forward, that's how, that's how they roll out as they continue to build the wall. Also, we, we see, we read in here that... Uh, that they, they were working on the wall, and it was, it was a large perimeter, and they were spread thin. So Nehemiah gets a, gets a trumpet and says, all right, guys, when I blow a trumpet, I want you to rush to this area and fight. So they're watching and watching and watching, and then if they see somebody where it's about to attack, they're going to blow a trumpet, and they're going to rally to each other and help in those weak spots. So that's a, what we see. We continue to see the leadership of Nehemiah as we close out chapter 4. Uh, he leads by example. He's continued to lead by example the whole time. Uh, he says that they worked until the stars came out. That means they worked and worked and worked to the, to, it was like they couldn't work anymore. They usually stopped work at dawn, but they kept working until the stars came out. So they had a mind to work. They were working hard. He was working hard. He said an example was watchfulness and diligence as well. He was involved in all this. And Nehemiah and his leaders, says they didn't even take their clothes off. They started staying in the cities. They were always ready. That was really an example of that watchfulness and diligence. Um, and really what, what I look at it as, a, as an elder at Doxa Church, which is sometimes it's hard to even speak, just to be honest, you know the weight that that carries as a leader. So what I learned from it is that a leader it cannot, you know, cannot put, place burdens on other people that he is not willing to bear himself. So Nehemiah couldn't be accused of that. He was in the trenches doing the work with the people. And I think that is a great picture for Doxa Church. I think this, is, this chapter 4 particularly is a great picture of seeing a community of people have a balance between work and watchfulness and have a, a sharing of burdens 
But sharing of burdens for one goal is, is to protect and continue their great work. And what is our um, great work? I mean, our great work is to plant a church. I mean, we're, we have no business planning a church, just to be honest. You know, I'm a pharmacist. Randy owns his own uh, title searching company. You know, like, we have no business planning a church. But the Lord has placed that call on us, and he is great and awesome, right? So you have to step outside of ourselves and say, look, Lord, this is about your work uh, and your call. And uh, so that is our great work. And I pray that we would share that. And today's a great example. I got a message from Randy this morning. For him to be able to be out of town and trust in a team that's going to that's gonna do this. It's going to run this show. It's not all on one person. It's a team that comes in and works together. And that's a beautiful thing to see a team and to be able to, to, to carry each other's burdens and to continue the great work. And we see a leader um, in Nehemiah that's quick to pray, is diligent in his preparations, and he's not allergic to hard work. And I pray, we pray for many leaders to come to Doxa Church, to be able to stand beside us and to, and to continue to fight, to push back the darkness of the Grand Strand. So really, the, the work that, that I've been called to um, and the work I pray you've been called to has just begun. You know, the walls of docks are, are, are not even halfway yet. We've got breaches places. You've got openings here. It, it's not all the way built. You know, I pray that uh, we, we, we have a lack, I mean, to be honest, um, we have a lack of resources, you know, and we're spread thin. We are spread thin. We need a trumpet blown, and we run it for a long time before we see somebody. You know, we are spread thin. Uh, Josh talked about this morning. We, he met me early to pick up the trailer at 7.15, and it took us a while to load everything. He's like, man, I, I didn't know you had to do all this stuff before you came. This takes a lot of time. I mean, there's a lot of work to be done. Just to, I mean, we're one trailer operation, and with these lights, we might be a two-trailer. That was a venture this morning. See, we got new lights. It's pretty neat. But there's a lot of work to be done. But I pray as we, as we labor um, that we respond like we see Nehemiah chapter 4, the response in itself. And really, as a, as a summary of the actions, um, we really see three things as we, we walk through this, right? We see prayer, we see preparation, and we see action. And so, with prayer, um, I kind of pin out, a lot of times, I kind of pin when I write, I kind of just start pinning a prayer. So, I'll, I'll kind of I'll share this from my notes, it's from a, really a, a prayer aspect. I said, when it comes to prayer, I said, Lord, may we remember the mercy and grace that you have so freely given us so that when opposition arises against you and against the work that you've called us to, we will be able to rightly pray for those who stand against you and your church. So it might be, we've been trying to give back and minister to River Oaks as much as possible. Opposition might come and say, hey guys, um, I don't think y'all need to be in this church anymore, in this school anymore. Let's move y'all. What is our reaction going to be? It's going to be telling. Uh, also, in, in this, I talk about um, that really may, may a gospel response to us, our gospel, a gospel response that we have to individuals will be what God uses to move them from darkness into light. That this difference of an approach or seeing people that are willing to, to sit at the table and to walk through stuff together will be what God uses to move people from darkness to light. 
And as I think about preparation, I pray, Lord, that, that we may have a firm foundation in your word, that we wouldn't, wouldn't waver from your divine truth. And that's what we were doing, me and Burton, uh, this week, and we're running it through the summer. We'll have different guys really digging into God's words to ha- word to have a firm foundation of issues of the Bible, that we would be sharpened, that we would be able to be equipped to really sit down with people and walk through things and have a firm foundation ourselves that if questions come, it wouldn't, it wouldn't catch us off guard or we wouldn't be shaken by it, that we would humbly walk beside and, and, and have a, a boldness but a humbleness to us as we walk beside people. And I pray that we would not be caught off guard by the enemy. I, w- I would pray, as I talked about, we would prepare and have an awareness and a biblical understanding of the issues within the church and Christianity and also issues within culture. So if it's sexual immorality or what it means for, to have biblical manhood and womanhood in the right frame, um, uh, issues with marriage, um, finances, whatever it is, that we would have an awareness and a biblical understanding of how to respond. And then when it comes to action, I pray that, that uh, we would continually to divide the workload that we would really joyfully serve beside one another. I mean, God doesn't get any glory out of you begrudgingly just doing something like, oh, this is terrible. i got to set these chairs up again. You know, but actually joyfully serving one another, enjoying being together, enjoying serving the body of Christ. You know, as we, as we become to action and, and we hope we have a, a vision to reaching out to the coastal uh, Carolina and reaching out to that campus, as we continue to love uh, River Oaks Elementary and try to minister to the students and faculty here, um, and really as, we, we, as God calls people to dox to whatever area of influence that God's put you in, we pray that we can labor beside each other for God's glory, that we can really do this together. Um, and so the for a reason of, so the burdens won't be so heavy on one person. You wouldn't feel that it all rides on you. So I know today is a big call. Um, it's really outside of my, my range. This is more Randy's vision. That's what he gets excited about. But I was glad to have this opportunity to really think about and, and spend the time to, to really reignite my soul for what God's called me to in this church and the hopes that I have for this church um, and, 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 but most of all of all that I pray that Lord that we would trust in his goodness and that we know that he will fight for us for his glory I mean this is a great work that we are called to right? it's a great work but it's God's work so we can confidently say it, will, it shall prosper amen? amen let me pray Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we do thank you for um, all that you've done uh, in our lives individually, the places where you've brought us through, how you've equipped us to, to serve and to uh, joyfully give you glory in our lives, wherever you've called us, wherever you've called us to serve. Lord, I pray that uh, for those that... Um, that are here, that are, are not a part of the Doxa family, that even if you don't call them here, that they would have a mind to pray for us for your glory in the city. Lord, I pray that you would give us partnerships with other churches in the area that we may labor beside them as well, wouldn't just be about Doxa Church. That we would labor with brothers and sisters in Christ for your glory in the Grand Strand. 
I pray that you would be magnified, Lord. Lord, I pray that we would continue to have confidence in you and not ourselves and our abilities and not our resources. Lord, that when we look back, we would know that there's, there's no way that we did this. Lord, this had to be of you. Lord, I thank you for this team, this ragtag bunch of people that really have no business planning a church, but Lord, you've called it and put it on our hearts so we trust in you in it. Lord, may we, may we worship you rightly. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Doxa Church. We are so glad that you took the time to join us today. At Doxa, we exist to make disciples who joyfully worship Jesus with their whole lives. We invite you to join us. Doxa Church meets at 10 a.m. every Sunday at River Oaks Elementary School. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org.